This podcast exists for entertainment purposes only. Before making any investment decisions, please contact your financial advisor. Welcome back to Man vs. Market, your one-stop place for everything market and macroeconomics related. This episode is going to be recorded on both Sunday the 17th and Monday the 18th due to a busier-than-normal schedule. So I apologize for the late release. Going forwards, there are also going to be a few changes to the way that the show is formatted. We will now start with reviewing the economic news and data of the prior week and analyzing the coming week before going into the nitty-gritty chart stuff. At the end of the episode, we will still be covering the main topic and picking a new play to enter in our portfolio. I am doing this so that those who come to listen just to get the news for the week can get it at the very beginning and not have to listen through the entire charting section. But don't worry, we will still be analyzing the market for about 5 minutes every single week. Something else that has caught my eye recently is the number of traders who have quit trading during these recent market conditions. This last week, I did a poll on my Instagram story on whether or not these market conditions stopped you from trading. And out of the several hundred responses, 47% of people said they quit trading because of the recent conditions. So because of this, I decided to spend the first couple minutes of this episode giving three ways you can more effectively and safely trade during market environments like this. Number one, keep position sizes smaller than you normally would have them. In a situation where the market is more unpredictable and there are more volatile swings, maintaining a higher position size right now is very unwise. The profit potential is still probably the same as what it was before, so there is no need to keep your position sizes as large as you had them during the last couple of months. Number two, take profits earlier than you normally would. When the market moves like this, in very unpredictable ways, profits and losses are going to come quicker than they would in other times. So when you start to see profits, consider taking some off the table right away, as this market can take them away for you if you're not quick enough. Last, remember my rule that every single market reaction is an overreaction, and every overreaction is typically retraced sooner rather than later. Just take a look back at the last couple of announcements. Usually the market responds immediately to the bad news before moving back up as the market starts to move past the recent announcements. This also works to the upside news. So anytime we see a large move following a big announcement, consider playing the opposite contrarian direction. This rule holds especially true during bear markets. So these tips might be a little bit obvious, but sometimes we forget things like this during these markets and the volatility because of the increased opportunity. But still, hopefully these help a little bit. Let's now jump into all of the news we need to be aware of and some of the data that has come out recently. First, there's the big one, the CPI data came out last week and was obviously not good at all. The consumer price index registered a 9.1% increase over the same level last year, which represents the highest inflation rate since November of 1981. Weirdly, also the last time the Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship. Moral of the story, maybe Georgia winning at all is not good for America. At one point last week, the market was pricing in a nearly 75% chance of a 100 basis point rate hike. At the next Fed policy meeting. But now it looks like that level has come down a little bit and the markets have stabilized with a near 70% chance of a 75 basis point rate hike being priced in at the current moment. Though it does seem rather unlikely at this point, if we do get a 100 basis point rate hike, expect more downside for the market. 
The month of June also saw a 0.8% increase in average monthly rent, which represents the largest monthly increase in rent since November of 1986. This simultaneously is coinciding with a housing market that is beginning to cool off, which has some outsiders scratching their heads. But despite the falling home prices, we need to remember that rent and the housing market are about a year apart. So we likely won't see rents start to consolidate for another year or so. And if we head into a recession like I think we will, expect them to fall even more. One takeaway here is that inflation will take a long time to moderate. This is not something that is going to be just magically fixed by the Fed. But we aren't seeing crazy inflation over the last month in every single space. One of the biggest drivers of inflation, fuel prices, have come in substantially over the last month. As of July 18th, the national gas average price is $4.52, down from the high of about $5.02 set back in mid-June, meaning gas prices have consolidated about 10%. And while I do think this is great for the consumer, I think this is also kind of a short-term thing. As you guys know, I am still very bullish on gas and expect higher highs at some point along the line, but this should give the consumers some financial relief, at least in the short term. This sell-off in fuel prices has also helped wheat get back to its pre-invasion levels, meaning that while food prices have definitely soared in the last couple of months, we should see prices come in just a little bit over the coming couple of months, given that we don't see another crazy surge in fuel prices in the very short term. Quickly touching back on the yield curve, we have seen the two-year treasury and the 10-year treasury reach an inversion that is the deepest since the 2001.com bubble. This occurs when the market's predictions for the economy become more and more pessimistic. And again, typically, after the yield curve inverts, it takes about one year to 18 months to actually see recession. But as this thing continues to invert even more, the market probability of recession continues to rise with it. One thing I should mention, though, historically, markets have done very well following a yield curve inversion, but before the actual recession. So if history is any indication to go off of, we might see some sort of a rally over the next couple of months. Now, I will say I do remain bearish going into the GDP numbers over the next couple of weeks, but a small rally is still potentially on the table. We are now at a really critical point in the market where it is starting to outprice inflation and rate hike fears with fears of recession. Usually when the market stops pricing in bad news over a specific catalyst, it means that we've bottomed out. Now, again, I don't think we've quite bottomed out yet, but the market is giving some signals that say the worst has already come. But this is what makes this market so hard to trade. Charts, patterns, technicals, even fundamentals can line up exactly in your favor, and the increased volatility will take everything away that looked great. This happened to me so far with commodities. I've been crazy bullish on gold, silver, and even oil for several months now, when everything looked like it was primed for a breakout. But unforeseen situations have continued to push these prices down. Now that we have covered all of the news, let's take a look at the stock market's performance over the last week and see what the charts are telling us. Now, taking a look at the three major index performances this week, the S&P finished down about 1%, the Dow down about 0.25%, and the NASDAQ down about 1.2%. So not a fantastic week, but quite a rebound from the pretty severe dip we saw pretty early on in the week. Buyers have really taken control of things, especially on Thursday and Friday. As we broke above both the 9 EMA and the 50-day EMA on the 65-minute chart. If we take a look at the SPY S&P 500 ETF, 
We started the week with a gap down right to the 385 level. Again, no coincidence that these levels continue to act as support or resistance. We continually gapped down and then eventually bottomed out right at the 372.35 level. The other level that we were talking about acting as critical support. This level has held a support four different times now and has led to a bounce each and every single time. Given that we've chopped for about four to five weeks, the market is compressing like a spring yet again, waiting for some big movement to decide the direction in the midterm. As we now approach that 385.40 level yet again and attempt to break above it, we are also approaching the 200-day moving average on the 65-minute chart. This has acted as resistance several times, and I expect it to be a challenging level to break once again. But as we're not really making new highs or new lows, we need to be careful for the move that is certainly going to come. My thesis over the last couple of weeks is that I think if we can hold above these critical levels of 385.40 and I guess 372.40, we would see a move back to 400. Now, I am actually kind of still holding on to that, and I think we're still going to see that. But again, we still have to pass the 385.40 level and the new 200-day moving average that will probably be at about 387. We also have to remember there is an open gap at about 395.70 and right above 400. So that might be a place that we see some turbulence. As a matter of fact, I expect it fully to be a place that we reject at least a little bit. But I think a move to 400 is also pretty likely at this point. We are now at the point in the bear market where bad news is no longer being priced into the market. On the CPI dip, we bounced pretty sharply after the bad news. It looks like the markets are now no longer pricing in this type of bad news and are now looking ahead to the recession, meaning that inflation is no longer the biggest priority. But again, this is why markets are so hard to predict. Everything might line up exactly the way you analyze and predict, and things might go the complete opposite direction. Very similar to my commodities pick that I've continued to back up over and over, everything looks super good and prime for a breakout, but we're not actually seeing it in real time. It really is all about patience and a lot of luck. But if we do take a look at the SPY daily chart, the MACD is now showing a semi-strong bullish divergence over the last couple of weeks, meaning we're seeing lower lows in the price, but we're also seeing higher lows in the oscillators. Even the long-term trend is now starting to lean in favor of the bulls, in the sense that the markets are pricing a turnaround coming pretty quickly. The weekly chart just popped a very, very, very mild strong bullish divergence for the first time in a very long time. So with all of these different time frames all pointing to the same thing, I think it's fair to assume that the charts are predicting at least a small bullish run over hopefully the next couple of days. A move above about 387 will put us over the 9-day, 50-day, and 200-day moving average for the first time since early June before the Fed's big announcement that dumped the market. Now as earnings season is back, expect these moves to be even bigger. There is a large move coming and I just want to be on the right side of it. So I want to be betting on the upside just because the charts look good and the market might be overpricing in the odds of a 100 basis point rate hike. I will say though, I am bearish going into the GDP numbers that are going to be coming a little bit later in the month. To finish off this episode, we are going to be analyzing a company that I think provides a lot of upside, and we are going to be adding this to our portfolio. Let's take a look at the company AstraZeneca under the ticker AZN. AstraZeneca is a biotech company that has gotten quite a lot done over the last couple of months, and it has a few upcoming events that might provide a great buying opportunity today. According to Investors.com, 
earnings were up 57% in the fourth quarter of 2021 and 16% in the first quarter of 2022. And most analysts see the earnings per share rising 34% in 2022 and approximately 16% in 2023. AstraZeneca will be reporting its second quarter results on July 29th with the consensus being a 98% increase in profit to $0.81 cents per share, while earnings per share is expected to increase by 34% all the way to 3.34. Last September, AstraZeneca used a combination of two of its drugs, two names I can't pronounce, won't even try, plus the combination of chemotherapy, and they extended the amount of time before patients' lung cancer worsened by 28%. This same combination increased overall survival for patients by 23%. This, combined with several other drugs in the asthma space and blood disorder space, have shown incredibly promising results. And after doing extensive research, I am not only optimistic on its July 29th earnings report, I'm also going to be adding this company to the portfolio for the long term. If we take a look at the technicals and the charts, we see a little bit of a decent setup. Nothing outrageous, but still a decent buying opportunity at these levels. We did just reject off of resistance today at about the 67.50 level, and we're now trading at about 66.40. But we are hovering right near that 61.8 Fibonacci level, near about 66.50 and this could provide a nice little ring of support to the upside. Plus, we have a recent strong hidden bullish divergence on the 65-minute chart that has yet to fully play out. So while the technicals don't look absolutely mind-blowing, the fundamentals here and the decent setup will have me be adding this position to our portfolio. I plan to hold for a couple of months at the very least. And with that, that is all we are going to talk about today. We covered the news, my thinking on the stock market's recent conditions, and covered a new position out of the portfolio. If you enjoyed this episode or took anything away today, please share with your friends and consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All right, I'll talk to you guys next week.